The views and opinions expressed by the guests of the Diplosport podcast do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of any agency of the United States government or any organization, public or private. I'm Morgan O'Brien, and this is the latest edition of the Diplosport podcast. This week, I talked to Ruth Riley, who I first became aware of when I was an undergrad at Carolina, and she was starring at the University of Notre Dame in 2001 when we were both seniors, was a national champion, and she was the leader of the team, the most outstanding player of the Final Four that year. But what I've come to find in working with Ruth is that she's one of the most humble human beings on the planet for all that she's accomplished. In addition to being an NCAA champ, she's also won an Olympic gold medal. She's also won a couple WNBA titles and has been the most outstanding player of the WNBA finals. I got to know her initially when I was working on sports diplomacy with the State Department, and we sent her out as a sports envoy, and she was a fantastic representative and just a wonderful human being and everything that you'd want when you are sending an athlete out to represent the country overseas. We have a really fun interview. Uh, <laughs> I think I made her laugh a couple times. Uh, we talk about her growing up in small town, Indiana and kind of the Hoosier hysteria that, uh, basketball fever that takes over the state there. We talk about her college playing days and beating UConn and going to the Olympics and then being a pro ball player. But the core of the interview really focuses on her values, her patriotism, the importance that she places on empowering women and girls through sports. And she talks about some of the important women in her life. And I was really touched by how she talked about her mom. It's really humbling to get to talk to somebody like this that is your exact same age and has accomplished so much, but yet is so humble. I know that if I won an Olympic gold medal, I'd wear it around my neck every day on the way to the office. And oh, oh, this? Yeah, that, uh, oh, I just found this in Athens in 2004. I'm really thankful for Ruth's time, but even more than that, I'm thankful for her generosity and her dedication to causes that she finds important. Right now, she's a grad student at her undergrad alma mater. She's getting her MBA from Notre Dame, and she's definitely bound for some big and wonderful things in the way ahead. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Macy, Indiana. And I looked this up. Do you know what the population of Macy is? Around 300? It's 285. So you went to a local high school. Yeah. So it was a consolidation of a lot of different country schools. How many kids were in your graduating class? I think 82. You were able, obviously, to field a full girls basketball team in high school, right? Yeah. We, uh, well, it is Indiana. Uh-huh. So okay. most people sure, growing sure. up in Indiana live, eat, and breathe hoops. Uh-huh. And, and was it, it was still single class when you were in high school for yeah. the state tournament? Yeah, my last, they changed that rule actually right after I graduated. Sure. So yeah. um, the, the typical Hoosier story. So, I mean, yeah, you were basically playing like in, in a, I, I've actually been to Milan High School. Uh, which is what Hoosier Hickory is based on. And it's incredible. It's, it's you know, they have all the old banners and everything in the gym. It's pretty sharp. But yeah. You guys were pretty good in, in school, right? We were, yeah. I mean, we who made won, it out who, of our sectionals, so uh, that was, you know, big news. Uh, uh, and, and who won state uh, your senior year? Oh, my goodness. I, I do not okay. know. Um, <laughs> you don't but keep a, a much, list. much larger school than ours. <laughs> Muncie or, yeah. It could be a big Indianapolis uh, school. Uh-huh. 
growing up in Indiana, was it always a dream to go to Notre Dame or did you think about going to IU or, or, or UConn? What, what directed you towards, towards South Bend? You know, I probably grew up a Bobby Knight, Indiana basketball fan, sure. but when it came to women's basketball, um, I honestly, I didn't go to any games. Uh-huh. Uh, my mom was pretty strict on our rules about watching TV. So uh-huh. I didn't really see much either. So when I really started to think about where I wanted to, to play, Notre Dame was by far the top choice for me. Sure. Great academic. You were a good student, I imagine also. Yeah. And- I was competitive in the classroom as well <laughs> as on the court. How did you first come into playing basketball in the first place? You know, I've always been tall, sure. so um, you know I was like six foot in the sixth grade, and okay. so I wasn't very good, but I enjoyed playing sports. So my mom encouraged us to be active, mm-hmm. and so we were always doing something active. And I loved whether it's volleyball or basketball or softball, just doing something, always uh, staying active. And where did you find competition uh, when you were growing up? You know, growing up in such a small town, where did you, where were you able to find that outlet? Well, I was the only girl playing, okay. uh, so there would be pickup games at one little town on Saturdays. You could go to the Mexico gym on Wednesdays. Yeah. So you knew where the games were going to be. It was just uh, having the confidence to be the only girl out there on the court. Did you see how that shaped your game differently than other girls that you and, and young women that you ended up playing with later? Yeah, it made me obviously tougher. Sure. Um, I think it helped me develop my skill set. You know, a hook shot's one of the hardest shots to block. So, you know, I had to be crafty, use a lot of fakes and, and moves and counter moves. And so I think that that really helped me um, kind of develop my, my post skills. And you did still make quite a name for yourself, even coming out of a small school in high school. You were, you were still a USA Today All-American, right? And was Notre Dame, they've been a strong program the last 10, 15 years plus uh what were they like in the the mid to late 90s before you got there they were on the rise uh they went to the final four for the first time in 1997 so my senior year in high school uh you know excited because i'm like wow that's where i'm gonna go to school so um but i would say it had been a work in progress and probably that class right before mine really set the bar high Mm -hmm. One thing, and we're going to get to your role as a sports envoy here as the conversation moves on, but when we send you out, when the State Department sends you out as a sports envoy, one of the, the things that we want our, our impressive female athletes to talk about is the role of Title IX in their life. Were you conscious of Title IX at all as, as, a, as a little girl or, or as a high school player? When, when did it first come to your uh, awareness? Yeah, I think when you have a conversation with your mom trying to to talk about shared experiences and you realize, oh, wait, she didn't have this opportunity. And so I think that was kind of a light bulb on. Um, she always encouraged me because because she didn't. And so I think, um, you know, like just having that strong female figure in my life to encourage me to get an education, um, to participate in sports. And then obviously as you get older, you kind of look into the actual legislation and what that mm-hmm. has done over the years. And, I mean, Notre Dame, across the board, their athletic department, it starts with football, right? But every sport they pride themselves on, men and women, that must have been a great environment to go to school and and be a student athlete in. Yeah, 
it had really just everything for me. It was strong academics, athletics, a great community service and faith component. And so really the complete package. And it was a smaller university. I knew I didn't want to go coming up on a farm to a very large state school. And so having one that was so good, um, relatively close to home was perfect for me. Was your mom a farmer? Yeah. So originally, um, grew up on a farm and we didn't farm once my parents got divorced, but we've always kind of lived in a farmhouse somewhere. You were born in Kansas, another really small town too, with around 300 people too. Is, is that just a, a Riley family tradition is, is living in smaller towns in, in the Midwest? Or? Yeah, I think it has to do with um, obviously farming communities. My mom, we, when we moved back to Indiana, it was the same county that she grew up in. And so um, just the byproduct of the Midwest. Was she able to go to all your games at in South Bend when, when you were? Oh, how cool is that? Yeah, it was so nice. I mean, she made it to the ones she could. Uh, obviously, some work nights sure. um, didn't work out so well. But for the most part, she was able to come. I was listening to uh, Zach Lowe from ESPN was doing a podcast last week. And he was talking to Sue Bird. And he introduced her as uh, a woman that had been an NCAA champion an Olympic gold medalist and a WNBA champion. And I saw it. I know somebody like that. So, But you're also one of the most modest people that I've ever met. Um, you, just kind of the, the way you carry yourself. And is that something that you learned through sport? It, I mean, I guess I'm asking you to be immodest by talking about your modesty. But uh, maybe talk about some of the values that you've learned from, from the game. Well, I think... My modesty comes from the fact that I do play a team sport, you know, and so it's not just me out there on the court. Um, you know, I need to, the help of my teammates. And um, I think also just the way I was raised, my mom really instilled in me having gratitude for what you're given. And um, and I try to take that lens to how I see the world. You mentioned that Notre Dame, uh, one of the selling points for the school was that it was faith-based. Are, are you Catholic or? Christian. Christian, oh. Yeah, I think that's where I really first saw the opportunity to use my platform in a meaningful way outside of the sport itself. And Notre Dame has such good community service. And so whether it was schools or hospitals, um, you know, recognizing that not only aside from being a basketball player, just a citizen. You know, like the the need to have a desire to give back. And the loyalty the school instills in the alumni, it's historic. And I mean, and it even extends beyond it. I, I grew up as a Notre Dame football fan because of, by dint of my last name and the fact that we went to church every Sunday. Uh, and, and there really is a lot about the school just kind of being that, that uh, aspirational entity that lifts us all up to, to do better, right? I, I mean, that, that's basically what I hear you saying. Yeah. I mean, now that I'm back finishing up my MBA, you know, our, our slogan or motto is, I mean, you know, a call for business to be better, you know, and to do more and to, to not only have values, but to live them. And, and so um, I think that Notre Dame definitely has that call to action um, across the board to our extended family. Yeah, it says a lot that I know a lot of people that when they when grad school comes around, it's going back to Mendoza or going back for law school or, or whatever at, at Notre Dame. And I think that says a lot about the community that the university strives to cultivate. But we'll get to, to that in your, your post-playing career in a second. Uh, first thing with March Madness upon us that I want to get to is your senior year. 
you're up against the mighty Yukon Huskies. You're down 10 at halftime in the I national championship. could have been champ- more than that. Yeah. I think it was 13. <laughs> at ha- a lot. At halftime. <laughs> this is the national championship or the uh, final the semi- four? We, we actually faced them in the semifinals okay. of the final four. Uh, so what's what's Muffet saying in the locker room? Do you believe in yourself? Or do you just think that these girls, are, these women are, are unstoppable? How, how, do you, how do you think that you're going to pull yourselves out of a 13-point hole? At, at halftime with, with 20 minutes left and beat UConn? Yeah, surprisingly, we were pretty confident. Um, you know, it wasn't, you know, a locker room where you felt like you'd lost the game. I mean, there's 20 minutes left. And, you know, we knew how much work and preparation we had put in the entire season. Um, so, you know, I don't know that Coach had, like, words of wisdom as much as we were very much a, like a captain-led, senior-led team and just – you know, okay, this is very pragmatic, like what we need to do. Um, so let's just go out on the court and do it. Uh, right? <laughs> and, and, and there you go. Had had you beaten them before in your career at, at in South Bend? Had you beaten UConn before? Yeah, so we beat them earlier that season to get our first number one ranking sellout, first sellout crowd for our history. Then Subert hit it, a half-court <laughs> shot in the, um, the Big East at the time, the Big East uh, – championship conference tournament to beat us and so this was kind of um our game three who, who did you guys end up beating in the finals so we played purdue okay. it was a oh, wow. kind of yeah. in-state rivalry um you know and that one obviously came down to the wire yeah so you know check that box you're you're an ncaa champion that that must have felt great at that point the wnba was what two or three years old so we had a unique class of going into college knowing that there was an opportunity to play when we were done. So oh. the WNBA started the summer of 1970, 1997. Okay. So. Uh, and so, you know, it was encouraging. Women didn't have that opportunity before. And did you did you know that you wanted to, to be a pro ball player uh, if given the opportunity? Was was that number one on, your, on choice on your list coming out of school? Yeah, absolutely. Um to be able to play a sport that I love for a living, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's a dream. What'd you major in? Psychology. So you come out, you're, you were a first round pick, and you started your career in, in in a relatively new WNBA. What was that like? Well, it was a bit of a culture shock for me. I mean, I went from South Bend, Indiana to South Beach. <laughs> that, so, I've been to both. Uh, yeah, that, that's not a, the gr- same it's a great upgrade. Yeah, um, but. You know, every time that I've transitioned from high school to college, college to pros, it's taken me an adjustment period. Mm-hmm. And gratefully, I had really good coaches, some old school NBA coaches, Ron Rothstein and Tony Florentino, you know, that were the Miami Heat's first coaches. So just great teachers of the game and taught me what it meant to be a pro, you know, not, alongside the skill sets that I needed to be a successful basketball player. Was it different playing for a woman uh, and, and then transitioning to playing for, for men? Was, did you notice any difference there? I didn't really notice a difference there as much as maybe playing for Bill Lambeer and okay. Ron Rossing. <laughs> I think it's more the personality um, than it is the gender. But you knew what Notre Dame guys were like from your four years at South Bend, so you were prepared for the I don't think you're yet. ever prepared for, for Bill Lambeer, but he, I learned a lot, though. He's an incredibly intelligent coach. Yeah. He's just a very loud personality. Yeah, he's doing a great job here in New York now, too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And what, just going back to Notre Dame for a second here, did you do summer programs? Was there outreach stuff that you did uh, as as a student in your student capacity, or were you just totally committed to basketball and you just didn't have time for that other stuff? We have a life skills department within our athletic department that would kind of help facilitate that. A lot of people would just honestly ask me, hey, can you come to our school? Can you come and talk to this group? Uh, I did play USA basketball most of the summers. And so um, I was traveling with them probably about half the summer um, and the rest of the time. You know, trying to spend some time at home. Yeah, have a little bit of a life. It must be incredible being a national champion at Notre Dame. Mm. There, it must be incredibly special with the tradition. Um, yeah, just so fortunate. You played a couple years in the W, and then the 2004 Olympics come around. Mm-hmm. And you were named to the Olympic team in 04, which, right? Mm-hmm. Which was in... Athens. Athens. Oh, okay. Oh. Uh, uh, did you march in the opening ceremony? Yeah. I mean, that was, honestly, my dream as a little girl was to play in the Olympics. The WNBA didn't exist. Sure. And so, you know, an absolute dream come true. And there's just something powerful when you're walking into opening ceremonies and you see all the different athletes and all the countries that are represented. And, you know, you're walking there honored to wear a jersey or an outfit that says USA, but to be a part of something so much bigger than than that, um, you know, is truly memorable. Who who did you grow up uh, idolizing on the court? Who were some of your role models? Did you have were there female basketball players that you looked up to, or or was it just NBA players? Who did you try and model your game after? Uh, honestly, I didn't grow up watching anyone. Um, you know, there was no WNBA. Um, I didn't go to any college games. And like I said, my mom was pretty strict about what we could or couldn't watch on TV. So, you know, I guess I'm not the stereotypical athlete that had, you know, posters on my wall. And, you know, I just I was probably outside playing more than I was watching. You won the gold medal in 04. Who did you, who'd you beat in the gold medal game? Australia, uh, and they're tough, tough, tough and going to be probably one of our toughest competitions this summer in the, uh, the Rio Olympics. What did it feel like getting the gold medal put around your neck and listening to the national anthem when they raised our flag? You know, I mean, it's just so surreal, right? I, I mean, I'm pa- very patriotic to my core, and so, you know, I cried when I was watching the Olympics and, you know, growing up when they would like raise our flag and you know I would dream and imagine what it would be like for those athletes standing on the podium so for me to be able to experience that myself um definitely very emotional one of the things I was watching an interview with Larry Brown uh, a couple years ago right when he started SMU and they were in his office and he had a poster of he played in the Rome Olympics which must have been like 1960 or something like that and you just think like God, he was on the Olympic team and that for all he's accomplished in his basketball career he thinks to memorialize that in his office that just being an Olympic champion it must be the the coolest thing in in the world yeah, I mean, even regardless of whether you win or not, to to have that opportunity to represent your country at the highest level, playing a sport you love, um, but then to add on being the best in the world um, and knowing that's not just for you, that's for your entire nation, um, you know. And and we felt so much love and support. Uh, it was yeah, it's truly amazing. 
you mentioned a, a couple things, just kind of being overwhelmed and, and blown away by the collection of, of different countries at the opening ceremonies. Uh, you also mentioned that you're patriotic, and, and I, I can attest to, to that, having sent you out as a sport envoy uh, on behalf of the State Department. Bringing those two things together, when, when did you realize that basketball wasn't just played inside the lines there in in at the, the Joy Center or wherever you played at Notre Dame or, or even in Athens. When did you realize that what you did with a basketball and a hoop could transcend that, that the barns in, in Indiana and, and make an impact all over the world? Well, I'm twofold. I would say first um, at Notre Dame, you know, when our fans literally hundreds would wait after games and it would blow my mind. Like, why are they waiting just for an autographer to talk to me? And so realizing that you have this touch point with people that you could use in a positive way if you chose to be intentional about it. And then I think the first time that I traveled um, on behalf of the NBA to Kenya in 2006 and it was a world AIDS event. And so you know, I saw this intersection of humanitarian work and sports and, you know, people kind of opening the door just because of what I've accomplished as an athlete. Um, I was that kind of changed the trajectory of my life. So you, you go out for the NBA to Kenya in, in 06, but and, and along the way, you're also you're winning two WNBA titles. Right. And you were the MVP in one of the finals. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll cut that so out. Good, good teams. Good teams. Um, but yeah, but blessed for success for sure. I last month at All Star, I interviewed this guy. I was telling you about Johan Olaf Koss, and he was the Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year with Bonnie Blair, like in '94, right after the Lillehammer Olympics, and he had won four gold medals total in his life. I literally have more pictures of him hanging up in my office at home than he had in his own office. And it's incredible how and, – and I, I also talked to him about being an ind- individual athlete. He was he was telling me about being a speed skater. Hey, it may have just been me on top of that podium, but I didn't get there by myself. I had coaches and teammates that drove me in practice and everything. And it, that's been one of the great lessons I've learned is that you know some of these incredible champions – it isn't just about them, and, and they probably, like I'm including you here, raise the level of your game because you realize that you can't do it alone. There's a long way of me leading to a question about, is that why you, you give back to you? Is that one of the lessons you learned about teamwork, something that you apply to reaching out to, to children in Kenya or we'll get to Saudi Arabia and Ethiopia and on and on and on? Yeah, I think it's... Um just realizing that so many people, whether it was their time, their advice, resources, money, coaching, um, you know, impacted my life in such a meaningful way. And so, you know, for me to be, I was grateful for all that people have done for me and you, you know, realizing that I have an opportunity to, to do the same in someone else's life. And so, as I say, I kind of try to live my life through this lens of gratitude and looking around, there's plenty of opportunity to do good. And a lot of it is honestly just with your time um, and, co- and intentionally connecting with people. And my travels allow me to connect with people around the world that I didn't ever anticipate growing up on a farm in Indiana. But I'm grateful my mom kind of raised me with this open-minded view um, of embracing new experiences and 
um, you know, they've taught me a lot and impacted my life in many ways. Sure. You've mentioned your mom and the importance in her in, of her in your life a bunch. It, it's clear to me that you take that as a model of what a strong woman can do for for girls that are growing up and looking for role models. It, it, is is that a correct assessment? You're, you're the psychology major. Yeah, but. you know, and I think it's also being self-aware and just being transparent, right? Uh, we all struggle with confidence and especially young girls. And so when, I, when I'm when i traveling and I see either women struggle the way I saw my mom struggle, but then you also see the strength in them that I saw in my mom. Or I see little girls that are just struggling with either their body image or their confidence or trying to, to fit in and figure out, you know, who they are and, and their identity. And so I think it's, okay, self-awareness of what I went through in life and then, you know, just trying to relate to them on their level. As great as you were on the court, every world-class athlete, be it Michael Jordan or, or Kareem or, or one day Steph Curry, you know, we're seeing Kobe come to the end of his career. Um, th- there comes a point where you have to, to hang them up. When did you realize that, right, hey, it's time to, to transition and, and do something, so, take the next step in my life? I think the latter part of my career, my Achilles was kind of slowing me down and, you know, realized that I could probably play a few more years, but I couldn't play at the level that I wanted to compete at. And I also knew I wanted to go back to school and kind of start this next chapter of my life. I'm so grateful. You know, I'm, there's a, there's nothing that I had left to accomplish. So I'm very fortunate to that degree. And... um I think it probably made it easier for me to to move on. The the next part of the conversation I wanted to move towards was your career as a U.S. Department of State sports envoy. We were counting, and there were at least five occasions where you've gone out on at U.S. taxpayer expense to represent America's culture and values through the lens of sport. Uh, a lot of the work that you've done has been in Africa. And uh, w- what were the countries that we said that you've been to? Uh, so both Congos, both Congos. Say it that way. Uh, sure. um, Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, guess, women's sports in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, that was incredible. Um, Morocco, Barcelona. Then a little tour of the southern part of Africa with Botswana, Mozambique, and South Africa. And we also did a, you just did a, a one day program Ethiopia. in Ethiopia, yeah, which wasn't it. You did out of the kindness of your heart. Yeah. That's the great thing about my involvement with the state department. You know, I do travel with other organizations and because I believe so much in the programming and what they're doing, I try to reach out when I'm on the road and just say, Hey, I'm going to be in Ethiopia. Do you have a program, whether it be women's empowerment or through basketball that, you know, I could spend a day or two to help out. And and we love having you come for a lot of the reasons that we've been talking about. When someone like you can stand up in front of these girls and pull out a a gold medal and and say, you know, you can do this, it's – and it's very easy to get boys to kick a soccer ball around wherever, whatever corner of the planet you're on. But one thing that we found is even in Brazil, girls don't play soccer at anywhere near the percentage that, that we do here in the States. And promoting women's participation in sports, as I'm sure you can attest, is fantastic for building self-esteem and helping them, them learn all the values that boys have been learning forever. 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of these are cultures or societies where it's not normal, um, where there's not equity, uh, especially for, for young girls, whether it be education, I mean, education first and foremost, but then the opportunity in sports. And so, you know, I think for them to actually physically see um, a female athlete, for me to be there to encourage them where they might not get that encouragement at home, uh, somebody has to to be a catalyst or a spark in their lives. And so I think the State Department does a good job of building programs to kind of open people's worldview and how they see girls and women in sport. One thing when I started my my year, my fellowship on sports diplomacy was I thought we were going to need to do more proving that exposure to women like yourself helped these girls set themselves on, on a, a good trajectory, a productive trajectory. But there is, there's a ton of research out there that backs this up and that, that supports what things that the State Department does, countless NGOs, a number of which you're involved with, do. And, and you know, for that, I'm obviously biased, but I think that that's why it's a great investment uh, in, in, of our time because it's literally pennies on the dollar, uh, the, the return that we get by sending folks like you out. Well, I mean, look at the Sustainable Development Goals, right? I mean, the majority of them are, are around women and young girls and you know here in the united states there's a lot of studies about the the correlation between c-suite i mean 70 percent of of c-suite women played sports and 52 percent played in college like that's a really high correlation so there are great lessons to be learned through sport tell me a little bit about saudi arabia and your time there that must have been out of this world yeah i mean it was just so incredible to go obviously i've heard through our media and you know read a little bit but to to be on the ground meeting these young girls who you know literally have to play in you know a a place that's secluded um because of the their culture's view on women and but to see that they didn't feel um discouraged by that you know like where there's a will there's a way and these young girls definitely have a passion for sport and you know it's exciting to spend time with them and kind of learn how sport is ingrained in their culture, which is not like the rest of the world. Do you find that rewarding personally? Yeah, I think it's really helpful. For me, when I travel with the State Department, it's not only to to kind of be an influence on what we believe here in the U.S., but to learn about these other countries. And so, you know, what I gained so much from that trip was really learning what these women and girls like their stories and, you know, try to be able to come back and, and share that in a very respectful, transparent, authentic way. And so I think that's the great thing about these programs as well as, you know, it's it's not just we're the U.S., we're here to because we know how to do something better. It's, you know, it's it's such a joint collaboration of, of trying to, to bring something that mean, is meaningful to them as well. While while I have you on a roll here, tell me a little bit about what you think the State Department does well with their sports diplomacy programs. You know, I love that we bring a lot of the athletes here. You know, I have the opportunity to travel to countries, but, you know, they get experience what sports like here in the United States. And that's so invaluable, too, because I can go and talk about, you know, what it's like to play in a WNBA, but... For them to come and to go to an NBA game, to go to a WNBA game, to to witness, um, you know, what that experience is like, um, to get knowledge from other coaches and teachers, I think, um, you know, that's really impactful. Do, have you talked to any of our sports visitors groups that we've had come through? 
Yeah, through the NBA, we usually host them during our, our All-Star weekend. Uh, and so what an incredible, if, you want, if you're a basketball fan, that's definitely the weekend you want to come and, and experience uh, what we do on the NBA side and our NBA family, obviously, which is the W and the D League. Yeah, you were at All-Star this year, too. I don't want to embarrass you again, but they brought you out on the court during one of the breaks, too. Uh, yeah, it's the 20th uh, anniversary for the WNBA, mm-hmm. and so, you know, just a celebration. And the NBA truly is a family, um, you know, and, the, and they celebrate what the WNBA does and, and who we are and what we stand for and um, honored to be on the court to be a representation of that. As a sports envoy that's gone out for us, uh, w- were there any really positive lessons learned, things that you you like to see at every program along the way, things that we need to continue to do? You know, I love that every trip has been different. You know, um, when I was uh, in the Congo, we spoke at like a debate or a, a speech uh, English club, I guess it is. Yeah, and, sure. you know, to see and to understand some of the different programs. And then there's like a streetball tournament with graffiti artists and how art and sport co- come together. And, um, and obviously the women's empowerment groups and meeting in Saudi Arabia with some of the most incredible women from different fields and walks of life. Uh, so for me, it's, it's always an educational experience, a, a cultural experience. And I, you know, I love learning um, kind of the different programs that are out there. What, what could we do better? And don't pull any punches. Uh, you won't hurt my feelings. Well, maybe a little bit. <laughs> you know what? I think um, a small example would be in Saudi Arabia. You know, I mean, just a very small example of of something that you don't know because, you know, it's not a reality. Uh, Come on. I'm sure it's real easy to find a burqa that would fit a, a woman that's six foot five in, uh, in Saudi Arabia. Oh, right? it's hilarious. <laughs> um, I mean... Yeah, definitely found one. Um, you know, and, and honestly, I'm. It was. It well, was yeah, what was it like wearing one? Interesting experience because. Um, I don't know, like to be really immersed and to understand, like this is the reality, and then to talk to women about it and their view about it. Um, we went at a time where the king just opened up physical education in the school system for girls, and so. You know, you can see how they're moving towards a path of progression, but it their own just title nine. Yeah, it's just not as quickly as the rest of the world would want. And sure, we I would want it as a female to happen overnight, but that's not a reality. One thing that that I think is real important in these programs is, and you you've really just hit on this. It's not it's not just about the the kids in Saudi Arabia. You, Ruth Riley, are selected at least twice for this program, once by your sport. You know, it's not like I cold called you or found you on Twitter. The the NBA ponied you up as a, an example of what they want to represent the, the WNBA and the NBA, the sport of basketball abroad. Then you make that cut. The second cut you have to make is on behalf of your country. We have to decide that you meet the State Department threshold to, to go out and represent American culture and values abroad. So we're investing in you, the sports on boys. When you, so you go to Saudi, you go to Congo, you go to Morocco. When you come back to the States, right now you're, you're a student in the MBA program at, at, in, in Notre Dame. Are you using some of these experiences when you're dealing with your cohort? Absolutely. I mean, anytime you experience something new in your worldview and your paradigm of the world is expanded or changed. Um, I, a lot of what I'm 
my passion is is for global health and for women's empowerment. And so the more that I can understand the issues that women deal with in different countries around the world or young girls and the better I can match up business solutions or in, like some of the innovation that I'm learning in, in business school and say, oh, well, this is a solution to a problem that I saw. What were you doing in Ethiopia a couple months ago? So Ethiopia was truly amazing because the most girls I've ever seen play basketball in one sitting in Africa in the continent that I've been to. And so, you know, it's just incredible to see this gym full of girls playing and how excited they were. And then really just traveled around um, an extended road trip throughout the northern parts of Ethiopia and talk about talk about getting a feel for the culture it's spending 10 hours a day driving through mountains and villages you really get to see and experience it you were there for school uh there with no with a joint uh, okay. um uh program i went to uganda with my grad school earlier this year um uh, on a project that we did what were you working on so we studied the supply chain distribution of morphine Uganda is one of the leaders in, throughout the continent for hospice care. Okay. And so uh, interesting to kind of track that from the National Medical Center all the way to some of the, the villages. That's right. I'm mixing those two. Because you weren't able to work with the embassy in Uganda, right? But we did hook you we up. We did a oh, basketball did. clinic. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Huh? Yes. Jeez. And it, it's great. I mean, that's incredible value to the State Department because you were there anyway. So for you to, to donate some of your time. And, and that's that's these aren't just U.S. force-it-down-your-throat programs that we don't call it that. We call them people-to-people exchanges. So it's every bit as much about you getting this, this, this firsthand experience and then bringing it back and applying it. And it sounds like you're doing a, a bang-up job as, as everything else in your life uh, on that. So thank you on that. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, as we're wrapping things up here, I know you have a, a flight back to school. What, you're going to graduate in May? In May, oh, soon, oh. yeah. Are you going to walk at graduation? I am. We have a grad school graduation, so I'll walk with my, my grad grad school classmates. Uh, um, it's, it's a great graduation ceremony. I I was there, I guess, in '04 for my little brother, but uh, it's a really nice. neat weekend. You get to do it again. Yeah. Um, so what's next for you? What are you looking forward to doing in the future? That's what I'm trying to navigate, uh, whether I stay within, um, basketball on the business side more or whether I stay in the nonprofit humanitarian women's empowerment, global health kind of space. How does someone like you make decisions like that? How, how do you, you have so much going for you. You have so many options in front of you. How how do you decide that this is the path my life's going to take? Uh, I'll let you know in a couple months. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it's not easy when your passion extends over, um, a variety of things. Uh, I think I'm at the point in my life where I'm going to have to narrow my focus a little bit, which is going to be hard, but I think it'll be more impactful in the areas that I choose. And do, do you miss basketball at all? Do you miss playing? Uh, you know, I don't, I mean, there's always a pickup game to be had, right? (laughs) I mean, um, that part is easy and I've been around kind of Notre Dame and our women's basketball program that, you know, is, is doing really well. So I feel like I'll always be connected to the game. Yeah. Although I would hate to be playing pickup and then, Oh yeah, here comes Ruth Riley. Yeah. Who's team? Okay. Did you ever play in the bookstore tournament? No, because, yeah. uh, I, they, I can't, they won't let me play this year. Oh, okay. Oh, really? You have to be 
out five years after playing professionally. <laughs> then, like, there should be, like, a grandfather clause. I mean, it's not like I'm young undergrad here. <laughs> Um, well, that, that's great. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say be- before we sign off? No, I, ju- I would just say that uh, it's just been a pleasure. Like, as I said before, you know, I'm very patriotic. And so to have the opportunity to really see what our ambassadors do, to see what our embassies do around the world, it's, I'm sure they don't get thanked enough. Um, and it's a sacrifice. They give up. They're moving every couple of years, picking up and moving their families and and doing it all to build relationships and bridges. And so it's just an honor to be a small part of that. Yeah, one thing, I went talking about sports and embassies, right? When we're watching the Super Bowl or the World Series on TV, they always mention the troops overseas that are serving the country. They never mention the diplomats that are. Uh, and you guys should be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that most people are, you know, it's not a top of mind um, to them, but definitely are are doing amazing work. Oh, thank you. Good. Yeah, I was fishing for that. <laughs> uh, Ruth Riley, thank you very much for your time in two different offices here at NBA headquarters. Thank you. Uh-huh.